Hello and welcome to The Green Stream, a podcast brought to you by Sustainable Business Network Detroit, a network of partnerships between Southeast Michigan stakeholders, innovators, and changemakers. Each partner is on a mission to advance and amplify sustainable business practices, and we're here to learn from, share, and help activate a sustainable way forward for Greater Detroit. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And head over to our website, sbn-detroit.org. Now, let's listen in to our conversation with today's sustainability leaders. Thank you so much for joining us for the Green Stream today. I'm Terry Barclay, the president and CEO of Inforum, and also the chair of the Sustainable Business Network of Detroit. And I am absolutely, I can't even tell you how thrilled I am that my friend and longtime colleague, Carla Walker Miller, is able to join us today for the Green Stream. You know, Carla is um, the founder and CEO of Walker Miller Energy Services. Um, but she is, without question, one of the smartest uh, visionary entrepreneurs that I have ever met, um, just a values-based, principles-based person uh, who drives all of that in her company. And her company has achieved extraordinary growth and many honors as a result of her hard work, tenacity, passionate commitment um, and just all around approach to building businesses while supporting the community and the people in it. So um, Carla, I hope you'll take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Walker Miller. Terry, thank you so much. And thank you for being so kind and gracious in that, um, in that introduction. I really appreciate your friendship and your um, just your work and your support of so many communities. But I am Carla Walker Miller. I'm the founder and CEO of Walker Miller Energy Services. And we are now, I can't believe it, a 23 year old company. Um, we've made it for 23 years. Uh, entrepreneurship. Congratulations, huge. Congratulations. I mean, really. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a big deal for us. Um, and we like to say we change lives through clean energy. Uh, we have uh, 255 people right now in five states. And um, one of the things that's important to us is to make the clean energy industry more inclusive and to provide on-ramps for everyone, for black and brown people, for uh, people living with convictions, people living with disabilities, you know, make uh, help the clean energy industry more accurately reflect uh, the country that we live in and the values and, and the people that we serve. Because one of the things we know is that as climate continues to change, we have to become more resilient. We have to become more innovative. And we really are going to have to really um, change the built environment. We're going to have to retrofit every home, every commercial building. Uh, we're going to have to change the way we build. And it really is going to take uh, everyone to do to do all the important work of, uh, of building resistance uh, resilience and resistance uh, innovating and, and fighting climate climate change so it's uh 
um, it's a blessing to be in an industry that is so uh, so relevant, that's growing, and that is so uh, necessary for where we are in this, uh, well, I almost said in this nation, but in this world. I, it is definitely the first time in my lifetime that we're not debating whether climate change exists or who caused it, or I would say well-reasoned people are not, but that we all understand that it's something that we need to uh, need to address like now. <laughs> it, it, well, exactly. And, and I think the evidence is, is all around us in the headlines. Um, you know, one of my volunteer commitments, I know that you have many volunteer commitments because you are so supportive of, of our communities. Um, but one of mine is the nature conservancy and it, and mm -hmm. I've been involved there for a while. And, um, it's interesting. It's been interesting to me to see the, the conversation, as you said, shift from climate change to climate adaptation. Absolutely. And so so could you talk a little bit more about the role that you see the energy industry playing? Um, you know, maybe give a couple of examples of um, how uh, the industry is going to propel us as we as we deal with what we're facing. You know, it's, it's, there's so many changes. I've been in the energy industry, believe it or not, for more than 40 years. And for much of that 40 years, not much changed. Utilities kept our lights on and we just did not think much about energy. You know, the, the, the conversations around energy were price because there is always an affordability issue and whether we had it or not. Those are, you know, the two big uh, questions and a little bit of discussion about uh, climate change. But I think we're all realizing that without energy, nothing works. We've had more experience, uh, not just in Michigan, but in this country with power outages due to uh, just the changes in weather patterns, patterns, more wet weather, more severe weather, more frequent everything. And uh, the the scary part is the trend is that's going to continue. Everything's going to continue to get more frequent and longer durations for these weather patterns. So you're right. We're using words like adaptation and resilience um, uh, to um, not to mitigate climate change, but just to survive. You know, we have to adapt to the weather. It's not going to adapt to us. So the energy industry is more on people's minds than it's ever been. And one of the things that's interesting to me is even without realizing it, we are adapting. You know, more people are buying generators. More people are thinking about what role then that can they play in their own energy resilience, right? Do I need generators? Do I need a battery? now in my house, something that we've never thought about. Uh, do I need solar panels? How can I ensure my own energy independence? Do I need to, um, you know, what are the things I can do personally as opposed to, to uh, depending on the traditional energy system? But even the systems that we're considering are different. Five years ago, no one would have ever said, how about a battery supported by solar panels um, to ride out uh, energy outages 
So again, even without realizing it, uh, we are changing and, and we are adapting and we're thinking about energy longer. You know, one of the um, interesting things, Terry, I know you've been thinking and talking about climate change or global warming as we thought about it for a long time. And for me personally, one of the disservices that was done to people who are now all in was there was a time when we talked about global warming and climate change. We went straight to the polar ice caps, um, whales, polar bears, you know, things that were going to affect um, the ecosystem and the environment, but not necessarily people. And one of the things we need to focus on, and I think we are focusing on now, is people. And that focus on um, animals in nature allow people like me to say, well, I'm worried about people who can't pay their bills. I'm worried about energy uh, poverty. So I'm going to let other people address climate change. There's some really smart people who are working on that, right? But now it's all hands on deck. It's affecting, you know, me. I My basement flooded, right? My power is out. So I think the most important thing we can do is help everyone understand that we all are um, are involved, whether we want to be or not, and we all have a role to play. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the <clears throat> the recent headlines um, with the tremendous record heat in certain parts of the country and the growing awareness that heat, you know, is just as deadly as cold. Absolutely. Um, you know, and and that there have been deaths uh, related to this, and the the for people who don't have the ability to pay, you know, the, the whole concept that cool air is a luxury, and <laughs> um, you know, all, all of that. I'm just kind of curious on your take. We need we we the people need help navigating this. Do you, are there enough companies, um, enough organizations out there to help support or or do we need to quadruple and quintuple Walker Miller Energy <laughs> Services? You know, do we need to to grow more support to weather this? No pun intended. <laughs> right, right. Well, the good news is help is on the way, you know, with the um, bipartisan infrastructure law and the IRA. Over the next few years, this country is going to invest literally trillions of dollars in uh, fighting climate change. And uh, so there are a a couple of things. There are technologies, you know, the technology of solar panels and LED lighting and batteries. The efficiencies of those systems are so much better and so much higher than they ever were. Then that's going to facilitate uh, the move to renewable energy. Most utility companies and many, many large companies have announced climate goals and states, as a matter of fact, have announced uh, climate goals that include carbon neutrality by 2030, 2035, some 2050. So uh, the the press really is on uh, to reach carbon neutrality. But once we do that, uh, the way we do that uh, is plain old unsexy energy efficiency. You know, it's, it's like the vanilla, it's the poster child of clean and renewable energy. 
but before you put solar panels, um, wind, and all of these uh, sexy solutions, the easiest way is to just stop wasting energy. So um, air sealing, insulation, and light uh, lighting for buildings, and making sure that we're clo using close to 100% of what we generate as opposed to depositing, it, depositing as much waste. Uh, the other thing that's exciting on the energy efficiency or, or carbon mitigation is uh, carbon capture. So you can prevent carbon from being created or you can decrease it once it's already here. And there's so much already here that we have to. And there are many technologies now that are putting carbon capture technologies that will actually bring carbon out of the air and inject it into the ground or in, encapsulate it. And so we're going to see those. Uh, the other thing that is interesting uh, when you say nuclear, you get one of two reactions. We really need it, but it's scary. Or I hope we never have any more and it's scary, right? <laughs> but uh, there is a resurgence of, of nuclear. Uh, there are small nuclear reactors that are being developed right now. So all of those things are going to help uh, mitigate and decrease the amount of carbon as you know, as well as renewables, but innovation. So we need energy efficiency service companies. We need innovators and entrepreneurs who are just continuing to to, to figure things out and um, and drive the decreases in carbon. And and to be honest, Terry, that's why it's so important that um, that this in, industry becomes more inclusive because we need the thoughts. We need everyone's best thinking. We need everyone's perspective. We need, we need everyone's geography. You know, we need every location to have the benefits of, uh, of clean energy. And that includes health, jobs, uh, business creation, and um, just, and we can do this. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of urgency, but uh, there is a lot of commitment as well. You're, oh my gosh, you you're so right, and there was so much in what in what you just said. But there, it sounds like you would agree. I mean, this is a moment right now with unprecedented investment, uh, dollars being available. Yes. It's really when, especially when you talk about inclusive entrepreneurism, and mm -hmm. you know, it's 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 a once in a generation opportunity for wealth building, you know, to build companies um, that are going to prosper as they do good uh, and provide services that are needed in our community. In fact, SBND has um, done a number of events and sessions where we focused in on just that um, mm -hmm. for uh, entrepreneurs and small and mid-sized businesses, because it really is uh, an ideal time to be looking at growing those companies. But speaking of growing companies, could you please share some details about Walker Miller Energy Services and what you do and what you provide? Sure, thank you. Thank you for asking. I often forget to talk about yeah. <laughs> uh, my company uh, because of the urgency to, to just bring more people into this industry is a gift to have a, an industry that 
you know, one of the things I can say about my company, we do change lives through energy. But when we enter a home or a business, when we leave, that family or that business operation is better. We leave it better than we found it. So we're energy efficiency service providers. Our core business is energy audits. So we work on behalf of probably six utilities in the country. We're branded as that utility. And we make it a point of going into homes and companies and helping people understand the shell of their homes, the systems of their homes, and how their behaviors impact their energy build, but also their comfort and their safety. So we go in and install energy conservation measures to and walk people through the things in their home that cause them to waste energy. Uh, and again, We've come to believe uh, because of advertising, many people believe that replacing your windows is the first step when you want to save energy. And I try to say every time that windows have the high, the, the highest, the worst return on investment, the highest cost for the impact, if energy efficiency is your goal, the most important thing is to have a diagnostic um, evaluation of your home and then do the things that are required for your particular home instead of just changing windows. But we walk families and businesses through and educate them, put them on a path to um, energy waste reduction that hopefully they will continue and decrease their energy bills. Uh, in 2022, we were in 25,000 homes in about five states doing, doing just that. And the need for that uh, is going to continue to grow. If you think about the buildings that you're in right now, Terry, even the one you're in, um, if you think about your home, the businesses that you go in and out of, where you worship, where you play, I guarantee you that 99% of them have an energy issue where the utility bills are too high, uh, low comfort, meaning when it's hot outside, it's, it's hot inside, and when it's cold outside, it's cold inside, inefficient systems, or unhealthy air quality. And an energy audit allows you to actually understand what systems in your home or the shell of your home or building are causing the problems that cause you to be uncomfortable or have high, high energy bills. So uh, the other thing is that we are, you know, the renewable energy is generating opportunities for businesses like mine to expand into other areas. So in uh, 2022, we launched our equitable mobility group under Dr. Brandy Brown. And we right now are um, certified installers for Tesla uh, charging stations and also for the power wall, the batteries that we were talking about, people are now installing uh, in their homes and businesses for uh, outage carryover. And we're also doing training. We're training energy auditors and we're training um, EV charging station technicians uh, one of the things that's going to allow the mobility to grow, electrification of mobility to grow, is a charging network. And right now, chargers need to be available 90 to 95% of the time. And as an EV um, driver, there's nothing worse than rolling up, you know, when you only have 30 miles left and the charging station is not in operation. Yes. So the, the, uh, the, you know, our electrification and mobility are driving many, many emerging opportunities. And we call ourselves a catalyzer 
to, uh, to help black and brown businesses understand what a lot of these opportunities are and line up to take advantage of all the growth that's going to have to occur in clean energy. I, gosh, I, I, I love all of that. And I've actually had some of those experiences where yes. I, I, I was in an EV and, you know, we, we were at the end of the range yes. um, and, and, you know, it's, it's just a huge concern. And, uh, with with the outages that have been experienced because of weather, you know, you think, gosh, electric vehicles and outages uh, don't go well together. So they do not go well together. That is an <laughs> understatement. Yes. Yeah. So we're so you know the the incredible push by, you know, certainly one of our core industries in Michigan. Um, driving electrification, it's like can the power grid and keep up with that? And yes. you know what? What are the other solutions? Um, and I can I can tell that um, I'm going to have to have you out to do an energy audit. <laughs> Absolutely, I am because uh, you're so right. Uh, the descriptions that you provided of what that feels like, you know, what mm -hmm. how people are living, I think are just spot on. So, so Carla, um, you know, we've known each other for a long time and you have an incredible background. Um, could you, could you talk a little bit about, about your background and how that led you, you know, to create the vision for Carla Walker, um, you know, and, and this incredible company that is building and just the growth that you've propelled. I mean, Walker Miller's just doing amazing things. Um, so how 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 did that happen? Let me just start first by saying God is good. Um, you know, we have the things that we plan and then we have the things that just happen. Uh, and th the first example is uh, I planned to go to college, but I had no resources to go to college. And uh, Tennessee State University and HBCU in Nashville was awarding uh, four-year scholarships for engineering uh, to, in an effort to do the same thing we're trying to do now, drive more women and more Black people into STEM. And I had no business, to be honest, going into engineering, but it was the only way I could get college paid for. Had they been offering baking scholarships, you would be talking to Carla Walker Miller, the pastry chef. <laughs> engineering scholarships. And that is not an exaggeration at all. Um, so I struggled through engineering school and landed with um, with Westinghouse. And, and to be honest, I stayed in engineering uh, with large power equipment for 18 years. But, um, you know, the 80s, late 80s, 90s business culture for um, Black, young Black women in engineering was uh, oppressive, to say the least. And I yep. can honestly say that um, that there were 18 years where I tried my best to be successful and I had moderate success, but um, it's taken me a long time to process. I've been out of uh, corporate for 23 years, but I can honestly say once I processed it, it was 18 years during which I was never the ideal candidate for anything. And that it even hurts me right this minute, even to say that, that I was never the ideal candidate. They, I was promoted because they had no other options because it was starting to look ridiculous that I wasn't promoted, right? And uh, in those days, 
they had to have the right position for a black person or a position for a woman. So, you know, they had to have the right position for a black woman and uh, made some great friends, learned so much about business, but uh, left happy to leave. Um, as unlikely an entrepreneur as, as I was at the time, um, God is good because had I not had the trauma of corporate America, I never would have left and started uh, my company 23 years ago and started in uh, large power sales of uh, generation, uh, transmission distribution and generation equipment. And during the recession, the bottom fell out. No one was buying equipment. And that's when I was really blessed to um, to come into the energy efficiency market, which was created in Michigan about 2009. And it took us a few years to learn the business, but it, it really is the, it's the most rewarding industry I, I could possibly be in. So the opportunity again, to, to help people understand, help people to save money, help people to live healthier in, um, in their home environments, but also to, to create jobs and invite people who don't have organic on-ramps into the energy industry it is really, is just incredibly meaningful um, uh, for me. And um, yeah, I, I just love the fact that, that God has led me here. And I will say that um, you could have today been the same place you were when you began with a more modestly sized company that was doing good things, but you have just propelled this incredible growth um, at the company. And could you talk a, a little bit more about what it means to be one of the largest African-American and women-owned energy efficiency companies in the United States? And we're just so proud that you're right here in Detroit, um, you know, that you're, that you're one of ours. When, um, when I hear the word proud, then I just default to, to grateful. I, I just don't, um, gratitude is, is a natural inclination for me. Pride is not because again, as a person of faith, I really do believe that, um, God has placed me in the places I need to be and allowed me to meet the people I need to meet to, to have the success that I've had. And the obligation that I feel um, to pull more people into clean energy, and, and not just because it's the right thing to do. Um, Terry, one of the things that's interesting is that there's so many people out who are not in the workforce right now. We talk about how low the unemployment rate is, which is, is so true, lowest unemployment probably in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. But in cities like Detroit and even in rural areas, the labor participation rate is still low. Um, in Detroit is probably still around 64, 65%, which means there's a large part of the population that does not look for jobs. They're just out of the workforce. And we cannot we can't solve climate change. We can't retrofit every home. We can't innovate as quickly as we need to unless we pull a lot more people back into the labor market. So one of the things it means uh, to be Walker Miller 
is that we do have the opportunity to pull people back into the labor market and to invite them into the clean energy industry. So, Carla, one of the things that I'm curious about is, could you talk a little bit about what some of your successful sustainability practices are in-house at Walker Miller? Of course. You know, one of uh, the things about me as a Black woman in a non-traditional industry is I always um, feel like we are on a mission to, to, to push farther and faster uh, than other companies because we're always, uh, I almost feel like that's my assignment, that our actions really tell a story. So we do have the, you know, recycling and some of the really traditional, we actually buy 100% of our energy in our building from DTE's My Green Power program, which means 100% of it is generated from green sources. Um, we pay a premium for that, but it's because it's important to who we are. But in the meantime, we're actually developing our headquarter buildings as a zero net energy building. I bought this building in um, 2018, believe it or not, and we named it the Emerald Corner. And so it's my building. There is the NAACP. There's a church on the corner, and then there is multifamily housing that was uh, low income, but is transitioning to market rate to high. And we want to help some of the uh, legacy residents of this neighborhood to stay in the neighborhood. So we're doing a zero net energy corner. So we call it the Emerald Corner. And we've um, contracted, we have a contract with WSP and they are in the process of designing uh, systems for the building, a different layout for the building where we're going to be generating as much energy as we use. So we'll be using a solar high efficiency HVA systems and unheard of insulation in our walls and high efficiency windows. Uh, just to make sure we can generate as much as much as we can. Um, we are going to open the building also to the community because it's really important that people have an opportunity to see what zero net energy looks like, what taking control of our own energy destinies look like and how uh, how normal it's going to be to consider your energy consumption and greenhouse gas generation at the point you design a building. Uh, gone are the days when we decide where we're going to live and we just hook up to the utility. We have so many more options for uh, how we use energy, who generates the energy, and uh, how much we waste. And that's one of the transitioning legacies of the uh, the climate environment we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds really ambitious and interesting and wonderful. <laughs> it is It is ambitious and interesting and tiring. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with visionaries, and I've only accepted the, the description recently, is that we're always looking for what's next. And uh, there are these things called details and financing that we're always trying to figure out, right? After we have these, after we have these amazing visions. So we're always tired. <laughs> That's why we need great teams, Terry. I know you have a great team as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. But 
it's good trouble to get into. So that's good. (laughs) So, so speaking of that a little bit in the sustainability space, um, what do you see as some of the greatest challenges the energy industry as a whole faces in the next five to 10 years? Other than the fact that we just started way too late. Okay. (laughs) Other than the fact that, you know, we, we have, what is it? We're from Missouri. Uh, we have to we have to see it to believe it. So now climate change is an issue because our basements are flooding and uh, and there are fires everywhere. But uh, is the um, the labor force? Yeah. When you think about how low the unemployment is, um, and we're talking about addressing climate change, that is building resil- resilience into existing systems and new systems. But um, resilience is built locally, so we need people in every single community who are the energy auditors, who are the contractors, who are the electricians, um, who are the carpenters, who are the iron workers, you know, for pipelines. And we have not invested in our workforce in decades in this country. We haven't invested in, you know, we've, we've trained all of our children to want to go to college or as many as possible. And we really have not built, um, we used to appreciate craftsmen and makers and we are so far behind. We are nowhere near uh, the number of just plain old workers we need. And right now, you know, you hear all the money that's coming into workforce development where it's, it's coming, but it's not here. And even when it comes right now, we're training people in classrooms of 10 and 20 and 30, and we need to be training people by the thousands um, to uh, affect what we need to. The other thing that's going to be interesting to me, Terry, is, you know, when you first learn something, then you're, you are a novice at it and you're okay. And then eventually you gain some competency. And one of my biggest concerns is if we have a bunch of new electricians, a bunch of new linemen, a bunch of new carpenters, energy auditors, there's going to be a lot of error just built into the fact that they're new as opposed to having a really, really mature workforce in some of these things. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the level of quality we get with a fleet um, uh, a cadre of new practitioners, as opposed to very, very, very experienced practitioners that we need. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, um with all the supply chain disruptions and labor disruptions, I know what I hear a lot, just all the time from people in the trades is, it's not like you can snap your fingers or flip a switch and instantly have someone who's capable. You know, it just, it's it's a much longer uh, real skill honing and training process. Um, not an overnight thing. And so really is the lead time that we need. Um, the you're lead right. time. <laughs> We're behind. The lead time. Yeah, we are. We are behind. Uh, the <laughs> other thing that I find really interesting is that contractors are going to have to learn a whole lot. You know, we have contractors in Michigan who are accustomed to working on steam systems and gas-based HVAC systems. And uh, we need more uh, heat pumps. You know, and and the there's been a belief, and really the technology didn't support the large scale application of heat pumps in northern climates for forever. And now the technology has has caught up, 
but we don't have a lot of people who understand heat pumps, the installation or the maintenance. And, and again, that's true of everything. We need, uh, we need less concrete and cement and more pervious pavement, you know, to handle the water. But there are not a lot of people that are doing that. So contractors tend to sell what they have. So we really need uh, incentives to help contractors learn to do things differently um, than they have in the past. So there's the the level of education that's going to have to take place is, uh, is tremendous. Another thing that I know that you just have an abiding commitment to is the community. And um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what you see sort of the near and distant future <clears throat> is for educating the community on, ener on energy industry services. Um, why is that so important and what do you see happening there? And it's important for so many reasons. Uh, the, the, and when I talk about communities, I'm obviously, you know, I'm, I'm black and my experience, my lived experience, my heart, my commitment is always with the most vulnerable black communities. But when you really look at the communities that are suffering, there are probably more rural communities and rural white communities that really suffer from exactly the same problems that urban communities, uh, just a lack of access uh, to resources, a lack of education, a lack of investment in their community. And as we go into clean energy, in many cases, there's gonna be disinvestment as coal plants close and industry uh, continues to diminish. So, um, you know, our commitments have to be bringing everybody to the table to help address um, the work that has to be done. And uh, Terry, even though we talk about how much money and investment is coming to communities, communities with resources, it's going to be much easier for them to do the pre-planning and to have the experts to even apply the funding that's coming into the city. So, you know, what we have to do is make sure those vulnerable communities have experts who are going to help them. The money doesn't just come to your community. Right. Uh, your city, your state, your community, in some cases, down to your local nonprofit has to apply. So we have to wrap our arms around those communities with the least resources and make sure they have what they need to be able to apply for the funding. Uh, the other thing is we have to listen to communities. A lot of communities have had uh, things edict. Uh, they their things are built in their communities especially dirty infrastructure. So a lot of communities don't trust the people who say, we're going to put solar in your community. We're going to put wind in your community. It's like, we've been down this road before and we know how it ends. We end up with the, you know, the dirtiest, most polluting things that are causing negative health impacts in our community. So really asking the community what they want, helping them to achieve what that community uh, actually needs and understanding who that community is so that we can make the, the best and highest use um, of the funding. My biggest fear is even with all this money coming into the ecosystem, and literally it is trillions of dollars over years, is that uh, that money will not be, the money will be squandered. 
and still the uh, the most affluent communities will, um, you know, will have access to the resources. I do have to credit the Biden administration for the Justice 40 legislation, which says that 40% of the benefits of the investments in clean energy have to go to uh, communities who've been historically excluded. Uh, we just have to activate that rule. Well said. Um, Carla, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, everything that you've learned, your your vision and your knowledge, um, your well-informed projections about the future, um, what we where the opportunity is, where the caution, you know, yellow flags are, and um, how we all need to uh, can benefit so much from working together to bring this, you know, to bring the results that we know that we need. Um, thank you so much for your leadership and for joining us on the Green Stream today. Uh, Terry, thank you for your openness, but most importantly, um, thank you for valuing my voice. Thank you for giving me a platform. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Everyone take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Sustainable Business Network Detroit, the Green Stream podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on sbn-detroit.org and stay tuned for more conversations on sustainability from inside and around the city. 